0: Hello everyone and welcome to our Threshold podcast. We are so happy that you have taken time to join us today and we pray that you will be absolutely encouraged by the plethora of messages and encouraging words that we share here in our church. Threshold is a family of believers based in East Riding of Yorkshire in the wonderful city of Hull and our head pastors are our pastor Deborah and Philip Bander. Be blessed. I hope you are as excited as I am. Yeah. And I hope you did bring your notebooks and your notepads and you are taking notes. Yes, you know, lately I I started taking notes when I'm in church or wherever I go really to listen to the word of God. I struggle to listen to the word without taking notes. Since I learned that there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple of Christ. Mm-hmm. A Christian is, well, a Christian, almost everyone's a Christian nowadays. But a disciple is a follower of Christ. The word disciple comes from the word decide. I think we did learn about that a few months ago. And it never ends being a disciple of Christ because you're always learning. So that is my challenge to you. <laughs> to say, if it wills, kindly take notes whenever you can. Amen. Now, praying on what to really teach on today, the Holy Spirit kept on saying the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. And I really wondered why until today, as we were praying and stretching our hands, I feel this is a message that is quite relevant in this season, for most of you, for most of us. For some, not yet, but it's a message that I strongly believe that the Holy Spirit has called me to share. So I'll be teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, I'll be teaching on the, the Beatitudes. Amen? Amen. So if you are looking for a title today, uh, just call it A Heart of Surrender. Amen. A Heart of Surrender. So if you do have your Bibles with you, uh, please let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. I will read a few verses from Matthew chapter 5. Um, I am aware that these scriptures carry quite a lot. So when when I was trying to really just learn and take notes. I figured that it would take a long time to preach all of it. So for now, I'll just read the first six verses. Are we all there? And it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples, someone say disciples, disciples. followers of Christ, they came to him and he began to teach them. He said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled amen, amen. powerful listening and i, I personally i read probably just like most of us, I read this over and over again over the years, and I think I found it quite confusing. I'm not sure if you're honest enough to say so as well. It's like, okay, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger for, for righteousness. But until I began to really look closely at it, I began to really enjoy just breaking down what Jesus was teaching him. Now, it's the same on the mount because when Jesus taught this, he taught it uh, on a hillside. And Jesus, if you follow his life in the book of Matthew and everywhere else, he was quite timely. He never really shared anything by accident. He never really wasted a word. And everything that he did was for a purpose. So, at this point in his life, he's more of a celebrity, right? He's got thousands of people that are following him everywhere. And wherever he goes, they're there. And wherever he goes, they're there. So you can imagine what it's like to be a celebrity in this day and age, right? All sorts happening. Now for me, when I think about that, and I just picture Jesus in that moment, I can only imagine what it was like for the disciples. And the scripture says, He called them aside and he began to teach them. So this message that he taught was teaching his disciples. Now that's quite key I think to remember and it makes me wonder why. Why would he call them aside and teach them this? Surely there was a purpose to this message. Amen? There was a purpose to this message and I, I think being so close to Jesus at this time it must have been quite tempting for the disciples also to to be arrogant, right? To be, yeah, overly confident and uncalculated in everything that they do. And so Jesus calls them aside not to teach them about money, about power, or about authority, but rather, he approaches the issues of the heart. Isn't that interesting? Now we know that when we follow the book of Matthew later on, we find that one of the disciples falls into this ditch uh, and he gets tempted by money. So this is quite relevant. Jesus knew what he was doing and he knew why he was teaching them these powerful principles to abide by as his followers. Because he knew that if they didn't know this stuff that he's teaching them, eventually there will come a time where some of them will fall into temptation. Amen. Are we following? Yeah. So Jesus tackles many things. And I just want us to look at, we're gonna look at them really closely and really find out what Jesus was really trying to say. And I'm really interested in the deeper things that Jesus was saying. And one of the first things that I see there when I look at those first six verses is that he uses the word blessed. 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 Blessed the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Alright? So he uses the word blessed in all those. And the word blessed here doesn't imply happiness. But rather hope and joy. It implies the fortunate or enviable state of those who are in God's kingdom. The word blessed is quite a deep word when you look at it deeply. It's not. Yeah nowadays I think when we use the word quite blessed we use the word blessed quite oftenly and when we use it I think sometimes we think of money let me bless you or someone bless me with something so we can easily attach it to money but this is what what this is It's got nothing to do with money when Jesus was teaching this. He was talking about a state. Amen? Of those that are in God's kingdom. And when we look at these beatitudes, which we will shortly, another interesting thing that I found out is that they don't promise laughter, pleasure, or earthly prosperity, but rather a hope And a joy, regardless of what's happening in our lives. And that for me is priceless. And I hope by the end of this teaching, you can answer the question, how can I find hope and joy in my everyday life that I'm living? How can I find joy in this season? How can I find joy? Joy Joy is hidden within your heart. Joy and happiness are two different things, all right? Joy is a constant state of being that you find all the time, irregardless of where you are, irregardless of what you are going through. It's important as a child of God to have a joyous heart always because life can be quite challenging. Yeah? So let's look at the first uh, beatitude in verse 3. And Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, is confusing as he was in most cases when he shared something, he uses a word that's interesting here. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what does he mean when he says blessed are the poor in spirit? Now, if you, uh, if you I'm not sure if some of you, I'm sure some of you are aware of Robert Kiyosaki, right? He's a financial mentor, tutor, so he's, he's written a book, uh, Rich Dead, Poor Dead, if you've read it. And in it, he speaks of um, the difference between being broke and being poor. And he says that being broke is temporary and being poor is permanent. So he's, he challenges his readers to know the difference between being broke and being poor. Okay, and it says if anything, you'd rather choose to be broke because it's temporary and you can overcome it. But if you're poor, it's rather permanent and God bless you if you choose that, okay? Now, Jesus uses the word blessed are the poor in spirit. So here he's talking of a constant state of poverty within our spirit. That's quite interesting, isn't it? constant state of being poor within your spirit. Interesting. He wants us to really have our hearts constantly surrendered to him and not for a second have a thought of being rich in spirit. Not that there's anything wrong with being rich. But Jesus prefers us to be poor in spirit. Constantly. Amen. Amen. Constantly. And it says, if that is the case for you, the kingdom of God is yours. So there's a promise there that comes with constantly having your heart turned toward Jesus. With constantly having a heart that is empty towards Jesus having a heart that is permanently turned towards him. Amen. And let's look at verse 4. And it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now here's another thing that Jesus approaches, and he approaches mourning also to do with the heart. Jesus wants us to focus on him always, right? In regardless of whether we're in a good season or in a bad season. And I'm glad that he chose the word mourn because there was a difference between mourning and crying. SJ probably cries all the time, right? (laughs) If he wants food, he cries. If he wants to sleep, he cries. If he teases himself, he cries. Any little thing in Christ, if he wants a little dummy in his mouth, he cries. But then the word we see here is mourning. Now, mourning is different from crying. People who mourn are either hurting or they've lost something very close to them. Losing something that is dear to your heart. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Why? Because now that you've lost something that is quite dear to you, you can have your heart turned towards me, thereby suggesting that we should hold everything loosely. Interesting, right? It's quite deep. It's quite deep. And it says the promise for you if you mourn from within you will be comforted. Now that you lost what you love dearly, you can replace that loss with me, he says. He wants to take that place. Now, when we look at what Jesus says here, right, and he says, blessed are you if you mourn, for you will be comforted. There are many instances in Jesus' life where that lost something quite close to them approached him or confronted him and he seemed as if he didn't care. Let's look at Matthew 8 verse 21 and 22 just a few pages over. And I want us to look at this. Matthew 8 uh, verse 21 And 22 now, we get a young man here who's lost his father. And he's trying to give this as an excuse to say, look, Jesus, I've lost my father. Just give me some time. Let me go bury my father. And his response, I'm sure, offended the young man. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. In other words, leave your father alone. Follow me. How is that right? I've just lost my father and you're telling me to live my Lord and follow you. It's a challenging statement isn't it? Jesus wants to take that place whereby even though we lose anything that we have, anything that we hold dearly, he wants to take that place. I wonder what the young man did after that. challenging question to you is what would you do? Let's look at John eleven twenty one 21 again. Another interesting story is when one of Jesus' close friends dies and Jesus' attitude is quite questionable actually, to say the least. John 11 um Verse 21. Okay, so we know the story of Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus has died. Now, when Jesus hears that Lazarus is dead, instead of going straight and direct to the funeral where many people were gathering, even those that were not as close to Lazarus as he was, they were there far much earlier than him. Instead, he delays his journey to the funeral by two days. Your friend has passed away. In fact, Jesus was not too far away. The scripture says the distance between Bethany and Jerusalem was two miles. This guy wasn't too far. Instead, it takes two extra days to turn up. And the scripture says by the time that he turns up, Lazarus has been dead for four days. The guy is buried, and he's already smelling, and Jesus turns out. Now, the verse that I want us to focus on is verse 21, where the sister of the deceased approaches Jesus, and I think I've often read this quite wrong my whole life, until I looked at it again. Now, normally what, what, what we say, when we look at it, when you're reading it, you think, okay, verse 21 uh, when Martha, I'll start from verse 20, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. So she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. All right, Martha was quite, yeah, she, was, she, she had a lot of energy. And she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's how you normally read it, right? But come on, she has lost her brother, and she knows that Jesus could have done something about it. Do you really think that's how she actually spoke to him? I think she shouted at him. I think she screamed. That's what I think. I think she screamed at him. I think she said sometimes, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think she was quite upset. Because she went out to meet him before he even came in. And she ran to him. And she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. So Jesus speaks, he prophesies, right? But Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So she doesn't even believe that Jesus will do this now. She says, yeah, I know. In the last day, I will rise. But she didn't know what Jesus was talking about. So there again we'll is another example. Jesus. Taking such a serious moment and using it as an opportunity to turn the hearts of those that have lost someone dearly and says, worship me. Turn your heart towards my God. Do not worry. Now that you've lost your brother, this is nothing to me, he says. You've lost someone dearly to me, but I will show you what my Father can do, and He raises the dead. Amen. He's after your heart. Say to the person next to you, "He's after your heart." He's after you. Say to the other person who's louder than you, "Say he's after your heart." He's after you is after my heart. And in verse 5, he continues to teach the disciples and he says, Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Now, for me, this is an interesting quote that Jesus says here. So I think the word meek is one of the hardest words to Describe. It's one of the, the, the hardest words to kind of find out what was Jesus really saying. I mean, you're, you're going down this road, and then you're speaking about being meek and being meek and inheriting the earth. And I think for us to actually understand meekness, what it really means, uh, we have to find out what David wrote about this prior to Jesus saying it, and it's in uh, Psalm thirty-seven if we can turn to Psalm 37 uh, I'm going to read quite a long passage not very long, 5 to 11 so just a few verses just to kind of have a look at what Jesus was saying here about being meek and inheriting the earth how many of us want to inherit the earth? yeah? do I inherit the earth? I do I do Right, let's look at uh, Psalm 37, from verses 5 to 11. And this is the Psalm of David. It says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness, your righteous reward, shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noon sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and tend tend from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Although you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. It's one of the few places in the Bible where you find the word meek being used. And again, is being tied to land, to inheritance, to peace, and to prosperity. Interesting. Interesting. Now, as I said earlier, meekness becomes a hard word to define. But when you look at what that psalm says, and you look at it deeply, eventually you start to come up with a few words of what this word actually means. Now, meekness talks of self-control, discipline, patience, responsibility and accountability. So the meek are self-controlled, they are disciplined, they are patient, they are responsible, they are accountable, they are calculated. And because we see the word land, peace, prosperity being used there, I think we can assume that the meek understand how to build wealth. For in that psalm, David speaks of not worrying about what your neighbors are doing, alright? right? He says don't worry, don't fret. He says don't be anxious about what you see others achieving or others gaining what you call success in the eyes of the world. He says don't fret, for that leads to evil. Eventually, you will look for them, the evil ones. You'll look for them eventually, but you will not find them. But you, being meek, rather you will inherit the land. So how do we inherit the land? By becoming meek. And how do we become meek? We exercise self-control. We exercise humility. We exercise discipline. We exercise patience exercise responsibility, being accountable, and make people understand that building wealth happens over time. And if you're married long enough, you will soon realize that it's hard to build your home if you're constantly looking at what the neighbor is doing. You wake up tomorrow and they've bought a brand new car, (laughs) and you wake up the next day, they've put an extension on their house, You wake up the next day, they've bought another car. And if you try to keep up with them, you will go against every single one of these words. You're now budgeting based on what they're doing, but not budgeting according to what God has told you to do and your family. So the meek are those who actually, to put it in simple words, the meek are the ones who mind their own business. Who focus on what God is saying to them. As a man of God. As a woman of God. As a family. What is God saying to me? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you as a family? Before we start looking at what somebody else is doing. Are we following? So the ones that really are good managers. And they manage what God has given them. And they plan according to God's purposes they are the ones that will inherit the earth they're the ones that will inherit the land they're the ones that will make a difference in society and if you have bought a house recently or in your past you realize that when you go to your mortgage advisor they'll say okay uh can you pass us maybe some bank statements for the last three months right and they'll look at your incomings and your outgoings And if they're not quite organized, they will decline you, right? If your expenses outweigh your incomings, you probably won't get a mortgage. (laughs) They'll look at you and they say, you're not disciplined enough. If we give you a house, chances are you won't be able to pay for it. So sorry, you can't buy a house now. So you can't inherit that piece of land if you're not a good manager. Is that a wonderful lesson from Jesus? Amen? Amen? And following that, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, with everything that Jesus has said prior to this scripture, it feels right to really just focus our hearts to him, doesn't it? If we can all please stand. Suddenly it feels right to say, okay, God, I want to focus on you. I want to turn my heart to you. I want to be poor in spirit so I can inherit your kingdom. I want to surrender my heart to you, Jesus. that in times of mourning, that in times of hardship, in every season that I'm in, Father, I want my heart to be focused only on you. That is what Jesus was trying to say to his, to his disciples the whole entire time. Like, look, guys, don't be, don't be focused on what's happening around us right now. There are thousands of people and there are many opportunities for you to make money. It will come you're famous now. and If you're famous, it's far much easier to make money than when nobody knows you. And Jesus wants to focus on their hearts. He says, guys, guys, focus on me. I want to deal with your hearts. I want your hearts to be placed in the right place. And I strongly believe that's what most of us in here are here for in his house. And that's why for some of us, the season that we're in, just seems to be longer than what you have planned. And God has made it that way. God knows what you are going through. And if there's one thing that is asking for, is for your heart to be turned towards Him. If you can just hug the person next to you. Just put your hand around them. And just help them pray. That Jesus will move in them. That Jesus will take over. That the Father's heart will be found in them. Constantly, in every season, their hearts will be surrendered towards God. For it begins in your heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your heart is very important. Your heart is very important. Many issues of life flow from within. Father, we're here. to worship you.